let's turn to Acts chapter 6. We're just going to walk through verses 8 through 15. And as the Advent season is upon us, Jesus came with a mission. He came to seek and save the lost. And just before he ascended, he gave the command to the disciples, which we'll go through in just a moment in Acts 1-8, but then it launches the church when the Pentecost happens and the Holy Spirit comes. And the mission of the church was to preach Christ, to proclaim the gospel. And here is uh, this week and next week, we'll wrap up our series on Acts, and then we'll have a several, a couple messages on Christmas. But Acts shows us the purpose and the mission of why Christ came. In 1958, Elizabeth Elliot, some of you may know that name, she wrote a book entitled Shadow of the Almighty. It was a biography about her husband, Jim Elliot, who two years later was killed. Jim Elliot and four other missionaries, Ed McCauley, Roger Yerdarian, Pete Fleming, and their pilot, Nate Saint, flew a small Piper airplane into the jungles of Ecuador. And their mission was to share the gospel with the folks who lived in the jungle. They started uh, to build a relationship. It was a short time that they were there to get to know the people. And it wasn't long before the very people they had gone to share the gospel with murdered them. Jim Elliot had uh, a chance to fight back, but he did not fight back for the sake of the gospel. They perished. And several years later, Jim Elliot's wife wrote a book, this book capturing what had happened on January 8th, 1956, when her husband and the four other men died. And shortly after his death, the spouses took their children to the very same beach where Jim Elliot and the other four men were murdered. But they didn't go there for revenge or to seek justice. They came carrying their Bibles. And they had a huge heart of love for the people that murdered their husbands. And they wanted to share the gospel with them. The, the people who murdered their husbands could not believe that their wives would come back and have mercy on them. And to show them the love of Christ. In 2005, Nate Saint's son, Steve Saint, made a movie, it's absolutely remarkable, called The End of the Spear. If you haven't seen this movie, you need to put it on your bucket list. And I, I highly encourage you to see it before the end of the year. It will take your breath away. It's their story. I got to talk with the president of Mission Aviation Fellowship a couple years ago at their headquarters, and he recounted that story. They went back to the beach of, of this Ecuador uh, area, and they were able to find the, the fuselage, the frame of the Piper Cub, and unearth it. And they brought it back to their headquarters, and there were hatchet marks in the frame. And it was remarkable to put my hand and my wife put our hands on the, the frame and to see where the men sat. And you could go visit this structure today. But I promise you, you won't be able to do it without weeping. Knowing that their blood was spilt so that the gospel would advance. And, and David, the president of MAF, said, Charlie, that was a horrible thing that happened. But that event in 1956 launched Mission Aviation Fellowship. He said hundreds of men and women, when they heard that story, said they wanted to be missionaries. And they wanted to take the gospel to reach unreached people groups. When they heard the story, especially what happened. And in, in, in Elizabeth Elliot's book, she shares a couple quotes from Jim Elliot's diary. Here's one I'd like to share with you. We have it on a slide. 
Jim Elliott wrote this just a couple months before he died. He said, Lord, I don't desire a long life. I desire a full life in service to you, even if my service is short. Let it be fully used for your glory and your kingdom purposes. Who could say that today? How many men and women, can I say that? Can you say that? Say, Lord, I don't desire a long life. And maybe you've been given both. Maybe you've been given a long life and a full life. And praise God for that. But would you rather desire a long life or a full life that's sold out in service to Jesus Christ that he would use you however way he chooses, even if that life were to be short but used for kingdom purposes? Jim Elliott later would write this famous quote in his diary. He said, he is no fool to give up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Let me read that again. He is no fool to give up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. What is your heart's desire today, friends? Is your heart and my heart desiring to to fill our lives with things that we cannot keep? Or are we desiring to gain what we cannot lose? In 1956, just months after he wrote that, Jim's prayer was answered. And because his blood was shed on the beach with the four other pilots, it it really catapulted the gospel. Why do I share that with you today? Because the passage we're about to see is an introduction to the first martyr in the church. His name was Stephen. And Stephen, uh, the scriptures don't show us, he had a single convert But he proclaimed the gospel in such a mighty way to those who were about to kill him. Most of Acts chapter 6 is dedicated to Stephen and all of Acts chapter 7, which we'll see next week. His words are absolutely remarkable. But when Stephen died, you might think what a wasted life. But it was all intended for God's purposes and for the glory of Christ to catapult the church into the world. Our passage begins in Acts 6, uh, Acts 6, 8, and we're told this, and Stephen. We just pick up right where we left off. The word martyr or the word witness in the, the Greek is where we get the word martyr from. It's the same word, witness and martyr. Stephen was a great witness for Christ, and it's absolutely amazing that the first martyr name would be Stephanus in the Greek. There are two different types of crowns. There's a crown that is it's inherited, that when a king dies, his son or daughter would be next in line to take the, the throne, and that person would inherit the crown as royalty. But the word Stephanus is not that crown. That's a different word in the Greek. The word Stephanus is a crown that is earned. It is a victor's crown. And after the Olympic Games, a a garland of flowers would be placed on those who won the races. And that was the Stephanus, the victor's crown. And here we have the first martyr of the church. His name is the victor's crown. Isn't that beautiful? And his victory is not in himself. His victory is in Jesus Christ. Certainly, Steve, uh, this is an appropriate name because he is a victor in Christ. And just as Jim Elliott's Life was a full life in Christ, although it was short. So too was Stephen. His life was cut short, but for the the time that he lived for Christ, it was full. And our story begins here with the first martyr's name. And then we're giving a description about Stephen from the Holy Spirit. The text tells us he was full of grace and power. 
God's hand was upon Stephen. There is nothing here that tells us Stephen made the full grace and power happen on his own. This was not because of his human achievement. This was because of faith. The Lord just showered grace, unmerited favor. And the word power is also this word ability. God gave him grace and favor and ability to speak truth and to be courageous in times where normal people would be absolutely fearful. We see here that Stephen was a spirit-filled believer. And when someone is filled with the spirit, there's a relationship with them being filled with the word of God. Are you filled with the word of God, friends? Because everywhere we see that someone is filled with the spirit and the scriptures, we see it was the word that filled their heart and mind. Notice as Stephen is filled with the, word, the spirit of God, he wants to point attention to the son of God. And everywhere we see the Holy Spirit's ministry throughout the, the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit is always, always, always pointing to Jesus Christ that lost people would be saved. Being full of grace tells us that Stephen was utterly dependent on Christ. What are you dependent on today, friends? Can you examine your soul if you're doing an inventory, even sitting here right now just very briefly and saying that I am fully, wholly, and utterly dependent on Jesus? Or are you distributing your weight to be dependent on other things in your life? Our, our Lord wants us to be completely dependent on him and he will even uh, create circumstances in your life and orchestrate them in such a way to allow you to see what you're dependent on and he will even remove those things from you to show you they're the wrong things to be dependent on if we're not dependent on Christ Jesus said in John 15 5 I am the vine you are the branches whoever abides in me and I in him he it is that bears much fruit for apart from me, you can do nothing. Stephen was abiding in Christ. He leaned on Christ. He trusted Jesus in every circumstance. Stephen was a man of God who abided in Christ. He was saturated himself with the teaching of the apostles. He was a prayer warrior, communicating with God regularly through prayer. Acts 6, 1 through 7 tells us he was a faithful servant in the church. The following passage in Acts 6, 8 through 15 tells us Stephen was a witness for Christ. And then Acts 7, 1 through 53 says that he acts as a judge before the council, speaking truth. And while those men put Stephen on trial, he is the one who turns and puts them on trial with the word of God. And then finally in Acts 7, 54 through 60, we see that Stephen is a martyr for Christ. Acts 1.8 tells us Jesus' final words before he departs and ascends into heaven. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. There's that word where we get the word martyr from. Stephen was an example of that. He lived for Christ. Christ lived through him. He was fully committed and sold out for Jesus. For Stephen is full of grace and power, and when someone is full of the Lord's grace and power, he cannot be hidden. Any person who's filled with grace and power cannot be hidden from the world. God was doing extraordinary things through Stephen. First we see it's through the apostles, and now we see he moves and trans gives some power, transfers it from Christ to Stephen to do works through him. The next part of the text tells us that Stephen was doing great wonders and signs among the people. 
The Lord was using these signs and wonders to get the attention of the people so they would hear the message that Stephen had as he proclaimed the gospel. Peter and John were, had already experienced persecution, but now we're about to see persecution is going to continue. And the enemy himself wants to persecute anyone, any group of people, any local church that's going to proclaim the gospel. There will be persecution. And sometimes that persecution will lead to death. We see it all throughout church history. And yet again, we see here that a spirit-filled man is participating in the work of God, proclaiming the Son of God. And that is the end goal of the Spirit's work, to proclaim the Son of God. And you and I, we, we are, the more we are drawn to Christ, the more we should have a heart for sharing Christ. And the more we are filled with the Spirit, the more we are inching closer to Christ, the more we should desire that lost people would be saved. And Charles Spurgeon is the one who said, if you, if you think you're saved and you care not about saving others, you may not be saved. Do you have a heart for lost people? Do you desire lost people to hear the gospel and be saved? Or is that so far removed from your mind that you never even think about it? If you never think about saving lost people, you need to question your standing before the Lord. Just like Jim Elliott was the very one that is an example of Stephen who was trying to save lost people and is killed by the very ones he, he was trying to reach. Verse 9 gives us a list of who those people were. Here in all of eternity, we see the list of men who, were, who put Stephen on trial. We're told that, verse 9, then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and the Cyrenians, and the Alex, uh, of the Alexandrians, and of those of uh, Shalisha in Asia, they rose up and disputed with Stephen. Now this word disputed means to interrogate as a group. This was a hostile interrogation. There had to be question after question after question, all for the, the sole purpose of tearing Stephen down, to make accusations and accuse him and, and to make him appear guilty. And once again, we see that Satan is using people to silence the gospel. And just after he went after Peter and John, now he's going after Stephen. And he's using these religious leaders, those who think their religion will save them from the wrath of God. And friends, just by observation, these religious leaders, they knew the Bible. They knew the Bible inside and out. They attended synagogue very regularly. And this is a, a warning to all of us that we could know the Bible and we can attend church regularly and know not the author of the Bible. That we could attend Bible uh, studies and be very religious, but we could not know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Hell will be filled with religious people who knew the Word of God. Let that not be you. Do you know Christ today, friends? Or are you depending on your religion to save you? These were lost men. They were hell-bound, anti-Christ, anti-gospel men, putting a spirit-filled man on trial. And friends, we should never be surprised when sinners sin. These men were sinners. We're never going to drive down the road and slam on the brakes if we see a bird flying, would we? We wouldn't get out of our car and be in shock and awe as a bird flies over and start taking pictures of it. Why? Because that's what birds do. That's their nature. And we're filled in a, in a world today, it's filled with, with sinners. The sinners who are doing what sinners do, they sin. So we should not be in shock and awe when we see sinners sinning. But what is shock and awe is when we see someone who's been liberated from the reign of sin in their life. 
A person who has been set free from sin, and yet they're going back to the very sin that they were held them cap- captive before they knew Christ. That should hold us in shock and awe. The good news is, friends, not only have you received eternal life because of your faith in Christ, but you have been set free by the reign of sin in your life as well. And if you have a sin that you're struggling with right now and you, you just keep going back to it, know that if you have faith in Christ, you have been set free from that sin. The Lord has given you the power or the ability to walk away from it. Here these men are sinning. They're doing exactly what their nature is. They're opposing Christ. And their desire is their religion. They know not Christ. And here as God's people, our desire every Sunday, in fact, every day, should be to lift up and magnify the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. When you wake up in the morning, do you say, Lord, let me live for you? Whatever part of this day you have me to live, unless you take me home today, let it be a full day of living for you. Imagine as we go in this Advent season, as we finish off the remainder of the year, if every day we wake up, we say, Lord, let me live fully for you. Would you let me be sold out? When someone accuses you of being a Jesus freak, you could say, well, I don't know if I'm a Jesus freak, but I sure hope Jesus thinks I'm a Jesus freak. Because it's his opinion of us that should matter most. A couple years ago, I was asked by a person in our church I was visiting in Texas. They they said, could you please focus a little less on Jesus? And, And could you focus more on the types of things I'm going through? And I just smiled, and the Lord gave me the right words, the right time, and I just simply said, it is through focusing on Jesus that you will get through the things that you're going through. There are people who are very tempted to desire things that are not of Christ and to impose those desires on the church, but as people of God, we must be all about Jesus and the proclamation of the gospel. Look what verse 10 tells us. More confirmation or affirmation that the Lord is with Stephen. But they, these are the the men in the council who are just throwing question after question. And these aren't the kinds of questions that they desire an answer. They're the kind of questions where they're making a statement. Here it says, but they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. The Lord was giving Stephen the answers. And his heart was just filled with the word of God. So I would imagine it was the word of God that was coming out of Stephen. And friends, when we share our faith with other people, we don't have to argue and debate. Just quote scripture. Let the, let the word of God speak for itself. Let them contend with the word. Stephen is full of grace and power. And you better believe he was full of the word. and He was speaking truth. Stephen was perhaps quoting scripture left and right as we're about to see in his sermon next week where he's pointing people to Jesus. The word of God is powerful. And they could not withstand it as as Stephen preached the word of God to them. That didn't work. Stephen made them look like fools, so now it's time to go to plan B, verse 11. They, they, They changed their strategy. Because at the end of the day, the religious leaders, just like they they wanted Jesus dead and they succeeded, now they want all the followers of Christ to be dead. They want to rid the world of this plague, in their words, called Jesus. Verse 11 says, then, this is a shifting of gears, they secretly instigated men. This is a a conspiring. This is getting people together who said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. 
So now they're saying, we need to change our tactics. This interrogation is not working. So let's start creating some false witnesses who will start telling people that he's blaspheming against Moses and God. They know that they cannot get him on the road to being killed in a capital punishment trial unless they have the crowd with them. They desperately need the crowd. So they trump up these charges of blasphemy. And look what happened in verse 12. It worked. Their lies worked. This was the fake news, the false narratives of its day. And they stirred up the people. This means they got them all riled up. It's like a stirring of water where the water was still in calm at first. And then someone just stuck a blender in that water. And it's stirring the water and water splashing everywhere to go from calm and peace to a stirring. They stirred up the people. And they didn't just stir up the people. It says they stirred up the elders. And it wasn't just the people and the elders. It was the scribes. And they came upon him. This would be a sudden coming upon Stephen. As if he was preaching and teaching. And here they came upon him and they seized him. This would be to have him arrested. Through these trumped up charges. And they brought him before the council. This would be the court. They're going to put him on trial. And the men who conspired against him will be the witnesses to say that he is blaspheming. This word to blasphemy uh, or blasphemous is very important here in verse 11. It is a key word in the verse. Why is this important? Because they want a capital trial. And if you want a capital trial and to punish someone with a capital punishment, you've got to give them a capital charge. To blasphemy was a capital punishment. So they made sure that the, the accusations they made against Stephen would be the kind of accusations made that would lead him to the death penalty. Stephen knew the risk. In fact, I was thinking this week going through this, if you had told Stephen earlier in the morning, Stephen, why don't you lay low today? Stephen, why don't you lay low because they're on to you. They know you're preaching Christ. And, and, and they're, they're on to you. They're going to arrest you today. They're going to put you on trial. If you could just not go out and proclaim Christ, what do you think Stephen would do? He's going to proclaim Christ. Why? Because he has no fear of any outcome that could happen to him by man. He loves Jesus so much. He believes so much in the mission. He knew the risk that he, he would preach Christ knowing that this would be his last time doing it. Stephen's goal was not for a long life, friends. It was for a full life. What is your goal? As I examine this passage this week, I just say, Lord, let, let, let me have that desire. Let, let my children and my wife, let my family, let our church desire to have a full life for Christ. Verse 13 tells us as if we didn't already know it. It's just compounding the lies against Stephen. We're told this, and they set up false witnesses who said, the lying continues. They can't handle the truth. These religious leaders can't win if truth is spoken, so they've got to make up lies. And now, now we get to know what they say in verse 13. This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. This holy place and the law is something that the people held as being very sacred. And verse 14 says, for we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place. And notice this. And will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. These people are spreading lies all about Stephen, getting the people stirred up, getting the elders all stirred up, getting the scribes all stirred up. I'm just reading the text, saying that he was going to change the customs. 
that he was going to challenge Moses and the law and bring it all down. And all of this was spoken as a lie to get the people to go after Stephen. They wanted him dead. To change the customs that, that Moses delivered to us, that means that they, they cared pretty heavily about their customs and their traditions, these religious people. In fact, they cared more about their customs and their traditions than they did their walk with Christ and knowing Christ. And friends, it's pretty tempting for me, and maybe it's tempting for you, to have things that we care about, our preferences become more important than our walk with Christ. More important than our relationship with Jesus. Jesus should be the object of our worship all the time. I had a friend in Texas who called me up and he just moved to Texas and is in our town. We got to meet every week for coffee and pray. And all of a sudden, some people from his church showed up at our church just across town. And I love this preacher. He's a man of God, a man of integrity with great doctrine. And I thought, why are people leaving his church and coming to our church? And so I sat down with one of the gentlemen and he said, well, this pastor, this new pastor we have wants to get rid of the organ. And we're leaving because he's getting rid of the organ. And I called up my friend. I said, hey, are you, are you getting rid of your organ? He goes, no, we're not getting rid of our organ. And he says, there's people in our church that are spreading rumors telling other people they're getting rid of the organ. And we have never had any plans of getting rid of our organ. He says, I don't know where these rumors are coming from. And so I went to these people and I said, you need to go back to your church. Be a part of your church. No one's getting rid of any organ. And now seven years later, the organ's still there, but there were people that the, the enemy was using to stir up trouble. In fact, it was hilarious. As I was preparing this message, several people, a couple of people came to my office and said, they're hearing rumors, you, you're fighting to get rid of the traditional service. And I said, I'm preaching on that very thing this Sunday. I can't make this up. And this was planned out a year ago. There are no plans to get rid of any traditional service. The greatest thing our church does is proclaim the word and have a traditional service. We play to our strong suit. Why would we get rid of the thing that we have our strength in? There is no one getting rid of a traditional service. So let that be said, if someone's telling you that, then this passage applies to this very situation. Now friends, I'm not Stephen and you're not Stephen. And I'm not saying any one of these religious leaders, but it's the same script the devil uses all throughout history. We saw it in Joshua, we saw it in Nehemiah, and we see it in other places, in many churches in the book, in the New Testament. The devil loves to get rumors spread in churches, to get people stirred up, to get the scribes stirred up in the elders, to create division. But friends, we need to pray for unity. Look at, look at what's happening here to Stephen's face at verse 15. And gazing at him, all who sat at the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. His face was glowing. Now this is absolutely remarkable. Why is this significant? They just said that Stephen wants to get rid of the laws of Moses. That he wants to change the ways and the customs and traditions that Moses gave us. So the Lord is saying from heaven, you want to compare him to Moses? Then let's compare him to Moses. Let me read for you from Exodus 34, 29. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hand, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant. They were afraid to come near to him. Moses' face shined because he was with God. And now we see that the Lord is enabling Stephen's face to shine like Moses because the Lord is with Stephen. 
And the Lord is saying, you want to compare him to Moses? I'm going to validate that everything he's saying is true by making his face shine like Moses' face shine. Now, how angry do you think that made the religious leaders? We know already that they're, they're grinding their teeth from other passages. They were so filled with anger. Certainly, they could not be smiling. They must be furious. Furious that a miracle is happening right before their eyes. They cared so much about their traditions and their rules and the regulations. They cared not about the Lord moving in their midst. So now this leads us to the most important question we could ask. Are you ready? On the count of three. One, two, three. So what? So what? I think uh, my kids were the loudest. It's good to have them back from college this weekend. I'm sure you watch all the services every Sunday. There'll be quizzes. <laughs> Number one. And this question I ask for you, and I, I've said this to you before, that on Sunday mornings I just preach to myself, and you're just listening. And several people say, you've been stepping on my toes all, Sunday, all morning, Pastor, and I'll say, you should see my toes, because this is just as much for me as it is for you, if not more so. Number one is this, is do you desire a long life or a full life, lived in full, wholehearted obedience to Christ? And if this has not been your desire this morning or coming in here today, but it's your desire to now miraculously seated right where you are, you can make a wholehearted commitment to Christ. And as someone once said, and I say it often, that you could have a hundred steps away from God, but all it takes is one step to be drawn back near to Him. And maybe you've been on the path where you've been living for yourself and you haven't been concerned about the Lord's kingdom at all. You've been concerned about your kingdom. And I'm just as tempted to think about that. But Lord, I want to care about your kingdom because our life will be short no matter how long it is. And I want to stand before the Lord and I want you to stand before the Lord and hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. And it'll be those who care more about the Lord's kingdom than our own kingdom who will hear those words. It'll be those who were sold out for Christ like Jim Elliott and Nate Saint. The cry of their heart was, Lord, use me for your kingdom. Lord, with all the resources that you give me, let them, let them be used for the sake of the gospel, that we would spread the good news. Paul had no fear of death. Jim Elliott, Nate Saint had no fear of dying for the gospel, and neither did Stephen. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5, 8, yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Paul knew it was so much greater to be with the Lord. And in Philippians 1, 21 through 25, we're told this, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And in the Greek language, it actually says to live Christ, to die gain. He says, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet, what shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for the progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you. Paul says, if I'm going to live on this earth, I will live for Christ. But if the Lord takes me home today, I will live for Christ in eternity. To die is great gain. A believer should have no fear of dying. Paul was not obsessed with death. He just wasn't afraid, with, afraid of it. And neither should we. These men who were called the, the freedmen, who were one of the groups who challenged Stephen. It's ironic that they're called the freemen because they were held captive by their religion. They were actually slaves of sin. 
Jesus sets us free from our sin. And we should have no fear of man. In Matthew 10, 28, he says this. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both the soul and the body in hell. Do you fear the Lord today in a, in a great way that you put all your trust in him? Number two is this. God uses opposition to advance the gospel. I think we've made that point in the text. We see it all throughout history. It was the, the martyrdom of Stephen that, that got the believers out of Jerusalem. And the previous passage tells us that they had filled Jerusalem with their teaching. Their work was done in Jerusalem. And my prayer for you and I is that we would fill Raleigh with the teaching of the gospel. That we would we'd start in our homes, in our communities, in our neighborhoods. That all of Raleigh would hear the gospel. And the gospel would continue to trickle out. But the Lord uses opposition all throughout history. And then finally, the third, so what is this? The gospel message is worth dying for. At Thanksgiving, someone made a cheesecake, and who doesn't love cheesecake? And they put it on the table, and after you've already had too much to eat, you look at the cheesecake and say, well, I shouldn't, but okay. And uh, someone said, told my kids, you know, this cheesecake is to die for. And after they left the room, one of my kids said, Daddy, I wouldn't die for a cheesecake. <laughs> and I said, well, that was just a figure of speech. It don't mean we're going to die for cheesecake. But I thought that was funny because there are some things worth dying for and some things that aren't worth dying for. But for the gospel, it is worth dying for. How do we know? Because our Lord and Savior died for it. He died to set you free from the reign of sin. He died that your sins would be poured out on him on the cross. That the moment you believe the gospel, your sins are forgiven. Jesus accomplished all the work necessary for your salvation. Do you believe the gospel or do you think you can save yourself? The Bible says you cannot save yourself. Jesus has called save people to save people. And the question is, churches, are we on mission? It has been said that 60% of the earth's population has never heard the name Jesus. Isn't that remarkable? We need to be a part of that mission and make sure the people who live around us hear the name of Jesus. Acts 4.12, and we'll end with this, states this, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation. Do you believe? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the courage and the example of Stephen. Father, as we read this passage and the passage to come, Stephen was simply a match that was struck. And he was the, the flame, the catalyst for the advancement of the gospel out of Jerusalem into the rest of the world. Stephen did so much good for the gospel. And Father, we, we are here today talking about the gospel as a as a part of the martyrdom of Stephen. Father, use us all according to your purposes and your glory. And for those of us who truly desire to live a full life for the gospel, our life is so fast that just in one blink of an eye, our life will be over. And let us use it for the glory of the Son. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.